I couldn't help as we were singing that song to almost burst into laughter. There's a ridiculousness to what we just sang that I don't mean that in any kind of disrespectful way. But can you imagine walking into church on a Sunday and saying, praise the Lord, I have a really bad credit score. No, that's the kind of thing that we kind of like bury and hide. If we have bad credit, if we owe a lot of debt to someone, we don't want anyone to know about that. And yet we just sang a song in which our hearts singing out to the Lord, praise the Lord, my sins were many. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's kind of comical in a way. We as Christians, we have the ability to come out and say, we are not perfect. Our sins just overflow. But praise the Lord, his mercy is so much greater than that. We're like the person who comes in with a really bad credit score with a smile on their face because their debts have been forgiven. Praise the Lord. This Sunday, we're starting our series uh, back into the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is the second book in the Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, It's on page number, you can turn to page number 48 or 49 in our pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, you can just take that Bible right out of the pew and you can even take it home with you if you don't have one. But if you want to follow along in the scripture, it'll also be on the screen, but you can turn in your Bibles to page number 48. Uh, and then we'll be moving on to 49 and, and, and beyond that. We're coming back to the story of Exodus. And our main section of Scripture we're going to be looking at, although it'll be somewhat abbreviated, is going to be in Exodus chapter 6, and particularly verses 13 and following. I'm old enough to remember before streaming on the internet of TV shows. Some of you are my age or older, and you can remember that as well. We'd turn into TV... And we'd watch a show, and maybe it was a really good show. Maybe it was a drama. And it would come to a particular point where it seemed like every single week, the writers had written it in such a way that it would reach its peak, and just as we're ready to find the solution, what would happen? They would cut to credits, and the show would be over, and they'd say, tune in next week for the exciting conclusion of whatever the show we'd watch. It was kind of exciting. It was also extremely frustrating. We wanted to know. Of course, now we just wait till the show is finished. Then we go on Netflix or Amazon or whatever we happen to watch. Just watch the whole thing. We just binge the whole thing. So I don't know if that makes us a better people or a worse people, but just certainly a different people. And last fall, as we were working our way through the book of Exodus, kind of slowly, chapter by chapter, we reached a place that was kind of a cliffhanger ending. Just a quick recap. God's people the people that God had revealed himself through the person of Abraham had found themselves in a very bad situation. They had fled from their homeland to the land of Egypt. There they remember the story of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis. And there they found some refuge. But over time, a king arose in power that did not know anything about what Joseph had done for Egypt. And instead of welcoming the Israelite people into their land, they began to see them as a threat. And so they enslaved God's people. The children of Israel were no longer free. Now they were slaves in Egypt. And because the children kept growing, the Pharaoh pronounced a very wicked command. The wicked command was that if any child was born, any male child was born, that the midwives were supposed to take that child and throw him in the Nile River and kill him. But Moses had a mother. This man named Moses had a mother who was a godly woman who did not fear the king. And so instead of taking her beautiful child and killing him in the river, she defied the orders of Pharaoh and she kept her son. 
and she hid her son. And eventually he got old enough, like some of our babies in here are old enough, where they start to make a little bit too much noise. They can't just be kind of cuddled back to sleep. And so she trusted the Lord by taking that baby, putting him in a little raft that she had made, a little, we call it an ark, a little boat, and put him on the Nile River and set him off in such a place that only God could protect him. But also she hoped that maybe he would be discovered. We see this miracle of how the, the daughter of the Pharaoh went down to the river one day to bathe, and there she found this beautiful baby and took that baby and raised it in her home. And so this man, Moses instead of being killed, was now living in the palace of Pharaoh. We read the story of how Moses came to age and started to realize a little bit of who he was, that he had this kind of dual identity as a prince of Egypt, but also as an Israelite, the child of a slave woman and a slave man. And how he wrestled with that and how God began to reveal himself to Moses. How Moses killed a man and then had to flee into the wilderness. And how there God dramatically showed himself to Moses. Revealed himself to Moses by his covenant name, Yahweh. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Moses, the man raised in Egypt, learning about God, And God reveals something about his name and his character and gives him a mission to declare to the most powerful man in the entire world at that time that God is the only true God and to let his people go. We find in the page of scripture that Moses wrestled with his calling. We're going to pick that up again even next week. He was unsure of himself. He had a past, right? Moses wasn't this great guy. Moses had a past. He had killed a man before. The Israelites knew that he wasn't a perfect guy. They brought it up against him. Who are you to tell us what to do? You're kind of an outsider in our insider world. And you're not as holy and pure as we think you ought to be. Moses struggled with it. He brought his message to Pharaoh. And did Pharaoh receive his message? No, in fact, even though that God had given Moses and Aaron signs and wonders to do before the Pharaoh, that even still, As Moses declared the word of the Lord to Pharaoh, instead of Pharaoh receiving it with fear and trembling, Pharaoh laughed and snickered at Moses and Aaron and sent them packing. And not only that, but instead of God's people being freed from slavery, the Pharaoh decided to heap more and more trouble upon them. Instead of letting them go off to worship the Lord and be free, he made things difficult for them. He took away the straw and said, make more bricks. Build my beautiful cities, but I'm not going to give you the tools to do it. And so things went from bad to even worse. Now we pick up in our scriptures in chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord comes back to Moses after this defeat and speaks to Moses these words. And I want you to follow it along on the screen. You notice I bolded some things in red. I hope that'll show up. Because I want you to understand what God is saying to Moses in the middle of this very difficult situation. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord. This is the English, when we see in the English Bible, capital L-O-R-D. That is a translation of the word Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible. So he's revealing them to him something about his name, this covenant name of God to them, a special name for God. I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Is- who the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will make you as my people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, for I am the Lord. So this is the first Sunday of the NFL. Most of you do not care, but some of you really care. And you can imagine the football coach on the sidelines getting his team all pumped up. I know most of you have seen a coach getting his team fired up. And if you can't think of a coach, then you can imagine a politician getting his, his, uh, his, his, his uh, followers fired up. You can imagine that scene. And here Moses and Aaron are listening to God, and God is firing them up. If God said this to you, I think you would probably say, I will run through a brick wall. I will do what he commanded me to do. But here we see in this text, instead of Moses responding with excitement, it's almost kind of like we get the Debbie Downer sound. (laughs) The pop and the fizzle and it's over. Look at Moses' response. Moses reported to to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips. And here in our story is where we landed last year. The action takes a pause. We go to a commercial break. We have to wait to see what's coming. We remember our story, God had made a promise. It was an ancient promise that stretched much further back than even Moses. You probably heard those names, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God was reminding the people and reminding them through Moses that he had made ancient promises that he intended to keep to their ancestors and to the world. God had promised to redeem the world, to free them from the curse of sin and to death, to bring all of humanity back to himself. He would choose the weak things of the world through which he would reveal himself. Through the family line of a man named Abraham, God would send a redeemer who would restore humanity to peace with God. 
Remember the promise that God made to Abraham that through Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. As we sit in here, I know some of your families. I don't know any of you with a Jewish background. And yet here we are as a people who are blessed through the line of Abraham. God made a promise. We also see something else in this story, that God's promises don't always work on our timelines. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, and maybe you've started to notice that. That God is going to do what he's going to do, but he doesn't do it according to your calendar. God was patiently working. He was mercifully working. He was patient with his people. He was patient with the world. He was faithfully revealing more and more of himself to humanity. And here at this point in God's story, the descendants of Israel felt far from the place of God's blessing. They weren't in the promised land. They weren't in a place of blessing. They were in the bondage of slavery. And when God's good word came to them, things didn't get better. In fact, things got much worse for them. When our story went to a commercial break, it seemed as if this step in God's plan was thwarted. That Abraham's descendants, instead of blessing and growing and being like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea, they were going to face a genocide. That's what's happening here. That's our current word for this. And Moses, God's prophet, instead of being received and accepted and celebrated, he was rejected and he was rebuffed. And so the question kind of hangs in the air at this point in our text. Was God still faithful to his promises? I know the situations that some of you are failing or are facing. Sometimes in your heart and your mind, if you're honest with yourself, you would ask that same question. Is God still faithful to his promises? In the middle of my circumstances, can God still be trusted? So the story picks back up in verse 13. And I'm not going to read the whole section. You can understand why if you look through it. It's a genealogy. It's a list of names. So-and-so had a child, and his name was so-and-so. And and -and so-and-so had another child, and his name was so-and-so. Starts out in verse 13, And now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And these were the heads of their families, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel. I'm going to stop right there and ask the question before we go any further, why a genealogy? If you read through the Bible, you realize at certain points of time, there's these lists of names of, of a family, uh, of, of a race of people, of a, a family genealogy is listed out like a, like a family tree. Sometimes they take whole pages of scripture. Why a genealogy? And I want to point out at least a couple things about why genealogies are so important. Why we don't just flip through them and ignore them and or imagine that maybe they're not scripture. The first thing we understand about a genealogy is that it is a true story placed in time and history. When you read a list of names like this, we understand that this isn't just a a, a mythology. This is a, a story placed in time and history. When the Israelites were to read these names, they're like, wait a second, my grandfather's on that list. My great grandfather's on that list. I see myself reflected on these pages. My ancestors come from here. It says something about where this is located. 
If I were to start talking to you about something else, if I were to say, in 1960, the Oakland Raiders were started in Oakland, California, and they played their first their first games uh, right in Golden Gate Park at a little stadium there, and then they moved to Candlestick Park, and eventually they moved to Oakland, and they won their first championship in 1967, you start to track with me and realize Scott's not just talking about a fantasy here. He's not talking about his fantasy team. He's talking about something that happened in history. When we read a genealogy, we recognize that something's going on here that's a historical event. It's also a story about a people. That God is working with human people in flesh and blood stories. It's a story about the descendants of Abraham. Because God made that promise to Abraham, it becomes a story that's important to all of his people, regardless of, of where your family comes from. It's also a story about God's faithfulness to his promise. It's a promise made to a people. That God made a promise to human beings, and God was going to be faithful to keep his promise. Over and over in Scripture, God reminds us of this promise that he made to real people, people like us. So it goes on. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Then it begins to list the firstborn sons of Israel, or of the sons of Reuben, Hanak and Palu and Hezron and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Sibion, Simeon were Jemuel and Jamin and Ohad and Jacob and Zohan and Shual and the son of the Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. And then it goes on to say, these were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their records. And it goes on to list the names of the sons of Levi. And so there's some interesting things to note about this particular genealogy. And I realize at this point I'm kind of going really into nerdy things, but I just want you to hang on with me for a second, and I promise you we'll move off of this point. First thing to notice about this genealogy is it's not a complete genealogy. It's a, it, it focuses particularly on one family. It starts out with the names of the sons of, of Jacob, who later his name was changed to Israel, and it starts out with the oldest son and the second oldest son. And then when it gets to the third oldest son, it just stops there. It gets to the son, the family of Levi, and it ends. The reason it focuses on Levi is because Levi was the priestly line. Levi was to be the high Levi's children were to be the, the priests before God that reflect God's holiness to the people, but also that connect God with the people. That's what a priest does. He stands like in an intermediary state. Here's you. And here's me as a priest particularly. I'm not a priest, but if I was a priest, and then God's here, and so I'm helping us connect with God. That's what priests do. So it's focusing on this priestly line. It's particularly focused on Aaron as the high priest, which is interesting because most of the story of Exodus focuses on Moses, but this particular story focuses on Aaron as the high priest. It talks about Aaron, and then it goes on to talk about his children and his grandchildren. It's also unique, very unique in ancient literature, because of three unusual inclusions in this story. The first unusual inclusion is, is we see in verse 15. Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman. So here we have something that just kind of makes us scratch our heads. In a particular time in history in which the purity of your family line was so important, God thought it was important to point out the fact that one of these mothers was not a Jewish woman. 
Second thing we see is another woman that shows up in the story. Her name is Jochebed, and you've already heard her name. She's the heroic woman who saw her beautiful son Moses, and rather than listening to the evil commands of the king, Pharaoh took her son and saved him and rescued him. Her name is called out in verse 20. And then the third name that is highlighted here, which also stands out as an unusual thing, because we read this list and very few women are mentioned, is this woman, Elisheba. She's in unique because she's not a Levite either. In fact, she's from the tribe of Judah, and she's Aaron's wife. Not only is she Aaron the high priest's wife, but she is the daughter of a man named Abinadab. And Abinadab is interesting to us as Christians because Abinadab is in the lineage of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is in the lineage of a man named David, who you've probably heard of. And David is in the lineage of a person named, take a guess, Jesus Christ. So we see this list of names. We see the reasons why genealogies are important. But also we have to ask the question for us this morning, so what? Why is this list for us this morning here? And I believe the reason we should pay attention to this genealogy as we study and go back into the book of Exodus is because the genealogies remind us that God is faithful to his promises. When you read a genealogy in scripture, the thought that should come to your mind is this. God keeps his promises. So what do we mean by that? The first idea I want to help us understand about this idea that God is faithful to his promises is this. That God is at work in the details of your life. Here are these people for 420 years, 430 years, going about their business, basically falling into slavery, coming out of slavery, living and dying and having children. They're going about their life. And it's easy in the middle of your details of your life, especially in the difficult details of your life, to remember that God is at work. But here in this story, as we reflect back from the vantage point now of Moses getting ready to lead his children out of slavery, we look back and we see God was at work that whole time. Not one day of that 430 years was wasted in God's economy. God was efficient in what he was doing. And God was keeping his promises even in the mundane details of life. God is at work in the details. The second thing I want us to learn from this is this, that in the story of our life that God is telling his story. Yes, it's a story about Israel. Yes, it's a story about Moses, but more importantly, the story of Exodus is a story about God, that God is showing us something about who he is. We see this in a few ways. We see this as a test. In the book of Exodus, it's a test of whether God can keep his promises and whether he will keep his promises. The next few chapters as we go into it, we're going to see God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, go head to head with the gods of Egypt. And the question is there. What kind of God is Israel's God? Is he just like the gods of the nations? We're going to see he's not. He's over them. In fact, so much so that they're not even gods at all. He's making a statement. The God, to keep his promises, is going to have to defeat the gods of the Egyptians. 
And then we also see that God, as he defeats them, isn't just a God who wants to crush his people. No, he wants to pour out his mercy and his grace on his people. Exodus is a test of whether God can keep his promises. It's also a revelation. Exodus is a revelation of what kind of God Yahweh really is. We're going to see more and more about God as he shows himself to these people. Exodus is also a call to God's people to live holy lives and worship to God. He's going to start revealing, like, this is the way you live, and this is the way that God expects you to live. In Exodus chapter 20, we'll see the Ten Commandments, which help lay out the God, God's law and God's intention for humanity. Exodus is also a reminder that we need a leader. We need a mediator. We need a priest and a king to bring us to God. And we'll see in the story of Exodus that even a great leader like Moses and a great high priest like Aaron are not enough. Because the story of Exodus points us to an even greater story. Not just of a nation in the chains of slavery in Egypt, but to the whole human race bound in the chains not of slavery to another person, but in slavery to sin, the sin that resides in our own hearts. We find in the story of Exodus that we also need a deliverer. And it points us to another story. And it's interesting that that story, like this story, starts with a genealogy. In Matthew chapter 1, in which the story of Jesus is told for the first time, it starts this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Exodus is important for us today as Christians or maybe even people inquiring about Christianity. Because it points us to our need for a Savior that's greater than Moses more pure high priest than Aaron, a greater miracle than the parting of the Red Sea. We need the holy God himself to come and take on human flesh and become our Passover lamb, our sacrifice for sins, to take away our sins and to make us right with God and restore God's peace, God's shalom on earth. The Exodus is just a hint. It's just a hint of greater things to come. And so this morning, as we gather together, we celebrate two people who are wanting to declare their faith in Jesus Christ. But we're also going to come together and we're going to celebrate a a ceremonial meal of sorts. We're reminded of God's love for people. And how in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we read these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message that Exodus is pointing to. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you shape us and you teach us. We thank you for the way that you use the stories of Scripture to teach us something in those moments, but also point us to something even greater. That the events of the Exodus, which happened thousands of years before Jesus was born, still reflect God's heart and God's character. Help us to learn. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.